but it's really good to be here again this morning. And would you turn in your Bibles uh, with me, please, to the New Testament and John's Gospel and chapter 20. John chapter 20, we'll be looking at some verses there in a few moments. You know, history is full of those events that mark such a significant change that after they've happened, life is never quite the same again. We call them defining moments. So, for example, in the year 1440, Johann Gutenberg invents the printing press. And from then on, mass-produced books would communicate information quickly, widely, and cheaply. One of the defining moments of history. In December 1903, Orville Wright takes to the air, transforming travel forever and paving the way for the planet to become a global village. In 1976, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs present the world with the very first home computer, so beginning the digital age. In 1991, Tim Berners-Lee publishes the first web page, so launching the internet, which has completely altered how we live, learn, and enjoy entertainment. And then in 2001, the very first space tourist blasted off, bringing science fiction a step closer to being science fact. The list goes on. But the greatest defining moment was none of these it occurred 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and burst out of the tomb. Then, so much happened. The old covenant was ended, sin and death defeated, wrath and condemnation lifted, fear and death destroyed, Satan and his legions vanquished, sickness and disease smashed, and darkness and gloom banished forever. That's a defining moment. And not only was it negative, it was also positive. Because then the new covenant was ushered in. Mercy and grace are abounding. Rebels and enemies are reconciled. Grace and favor are poured out. Salvation and forgiveness is freely offered. Heaven's gates are opened wide. And your status and mine is changed from sinner to saint. That's a defining moment. So let's turn in our Bibles to John 20 and let's read what happened that morning, that morning it all began. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 and we're going to read just the first eight verses. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. 
So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, went in, and he saw and believed. This scripture demonstrates two simple but profound points about the resurrection. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, just a two-point sermon. First of all, the resurrection is a rock-solid fact. And hey, why did we say that together? The resurrection is a rock-solid fact. You know, over the years, people have tried to debunk this central truth of our Christian faith. David Jenkins, for instance, some years ago who was an unbelieving bishop of Durham, called the resurrection a conjuring trick with bones. He probably was referring to the, one of the suggestions that the disciples actually stole the body of Jesus and then made up the lie that he had risen from the dead. I think that doesn't hold any water because many of these guys died a very painful death uh, would they have done that if they knew that they were dying for a ruse? Some, on the other hand, have claimed that Jesus didn't die on the cross, but just fainted. Despite receiving a flogging, losing a massive amount of blood, enduring a Roman crucifixion, and having a spear thrust through his heart. Then they say... He came to in the coolness of the tomb and with wounded hands moved a two-ton stone and on wounded feet ran away. There's another suggestion that the disciples were really having a mass hallucination and that the resurrection was nothing more than a figment of their imagination brought on by mass hysteria. But the Bible is very clear. It says Jesus walked on the Emmaus road. He talked and reasoned with Cleopas and his friend. He cooked breakfast for the disciples. He ate a meal with them of broiled fish. He breathed on his followers. He showed them his wounds. And he made Thomas touch his hands and his side. In his own words, Jesus said, a spirit, a figment of your imagination, does not have flesh and bones like I have. Moses, the founder of Judaism, is buried in Jordan. Mohammed, the founder of Islam, has his tomb in Saudi Arabia. Buddha's ashes are in northeast India. Confucius remains are in Shandong province in China, and the body of Guru Nanak, the founder of Sikhism, is in the Punjab. But the garden tomb where Jesus laid this morning is 
empty. He briefly borrowed it for a few hours, but Friday gave way to Sunday, and on that first Sunday morning, Jesus Christ bursts from the tomb, and this morning is alive. The resurrection is a rock-solid fact. Angels declared it in the garden. Mary Magdalene proclaimed it in the city. Peter preached it on the day of Pentecost. Paul wrote about it in his letters. And over 50 times, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. The center of our faith is not a fable, a feeling, or a philosophy. It's a rock-solid fact. That's why Brooke Westcott, this time a believing bishop of Durham, said there's no historical incident better or more variously supported. And Lord Darling, who was a former British High Court judge and Lord Chancellor of England, said this, after considering the evidence, no intelligent jury anywhere in the world would return any verdict other than Jesus really did rise from the dead. Many have tried to debunk it. No-nonsense lawyers like Simon Greenleaf and Frank Morrison. Hard-nosed journalists like Lee Strobel and sharp-minded thinkers like Josh McDowell. And yet they all ended up believing it and becoming Christians. Because the resurrection is not a lie, a myth, or a hoax. It's undeniable truth. A rock-solid fact. Now, having said that, it means that we have to come to terms with it. We either have to reject it or accept it. But the resurrection this morning... Standing as a fact requires a response from every one of us. Okay, here's the second point. Having said the resurrection is a rock-solid fact, secondly, the resurrection is a personal encounter. Let's say that together. The resurrection is a personal encounter. The amazing thing about this account that is woven through all four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he didn't appear on the top of a mountain in a cloud of glory with light shining out of his eyes and lightning bolts coming off his fingertips, scaring everybody and making sure they all kept their distance. But instead, he comes and seeks out his followers. He comes to touch their lives. He comes to make a difference. He comes to bring a change. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Paul tells his readers that Christ was raised from the dead so that we might live in newness of life. The resurrection isn't just something we believe in, but it's something we can actually experience and be transformed by. 
Well, let's look again in our Bible, shall we? John chapter 20, and I want to read some more verses. We're going to begin at verse 11, and I'm going to jump around a bit, but hopefully I'll announce where we are going to next so you can follow on. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Verse 16. He said to her, Mary, and she said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. On the evening of that first day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw Jesus. He said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord, and my God. So the first person to experience the resurrection was Mary Magdalene, whose broken heart and broken faith Jesus mended. Next were his disciples, and he appeared to them and took away their fear. And then came Thomas, and he healed his doubt and his unbelief. The list goes on and on. Because the resurrection isn't just a rock-solid fact, something we believe in, but it's also something that we can experience. And as we continue this morning, I want to highlight some of the ways in which you and I can experience the resurrected Jesus today. And the first is this, we can experience him as he saves us. Romans 4 verse 25 says, he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. We're going to play a video in just a second or two. I just want to set it up. I remember seeing this um, a couple of years ago as we were taking a group through the Alpha film series. And I was so impacted how the risen Jesus came to the guy we're going to watch. Young man that was in prison. His life ruined and changed him. Let's watch it together, shall we?
Maybe we'll turn the lights out for this. I got in with the wrong crowd and I started to um, pinch cars, burgle houses, uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high profile thieves really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist and I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out I would use it. I ended up stabbing someone in the head. I ended up um, stabbing someone just missing his heart and going through the top of his shoulder, uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder away. He dropped to the floor and so I was on the run for two attempted murders. And then I was just, when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system and I couldn't handle being told what to do, couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got the prison officer and I, uh, I stabbed him. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC. It's where they feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact, so they have to have riot shields and riot gear on. Um, and that was my life for a long, long time, basically. And I, I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in on Alpha Course. Never heard of an Alpha Course, didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in because they'd sent me down. I sat down on a chair and I thought, oh no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week and I would argue. And the pastor, um, I remember he come to me. He said, right, I'm going to say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying. And I said, uh, God, I said, God, if you're real, come into my life because I hate who I am. And nothing happened. But then... As I was talking to the pastor, I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach. And it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up. And I just broke out into uncontrollable um, tears. And I just sobbed. And I just... Right there. Because that was a change in my whole life. I knew God was real. Um, and no one will change that now. And then I remember <laughs> running on the wing. People clearly knew that I would become a Christian. So I actually helped them on another two Alpha courses. And then I, um, I got released. I've been in a prison where I... Because you would have thought that the prison where I stopped the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me. But they were the first. That's how God works. The best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and, and trying to tell them about God. I've got five kids and they're my life. Um, and what upsets me is because now I know um, that back then, if I had the kids, uh, they wouldn't have had a good upbringing. And now they sit on the night and have Bible studies with their dad. Um, <clears throat> A Bible study with a dad, have a life, the beautiful, um, and my life. This probably is my wife and my kids are the best gift, that, apart from the grace God's given me, 
is the best gift I've ever, he'll ever give me. Um, didn't expect to cry like that. Yeah. The resurrection. It's real. And it's a personal encounter. Jesus can save us and change us like he did Shane. But there's another way in which we can experience the resurrection. Because we can experience him as he heals us. In Romans 8 and verse 11, Paul writes, The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. A few years ago, we spent uh, three years in uh, a sister church in Langley, in British Columbia. They'd been going through a rough time, and Val and I went to just help them. We were going for 10 weeks, one summer. We ended up staying nearly three years. And we learned there of a, of a, a little girl, a little granddaughter that was living with her grandparents. And her legs were so badly bowed and her feet so severely turned in that she was referred to a, an orthopedic pediatrician for help. Well, when the doctor examined her, he said, geez, you know what, her, her legs should be like the number 11, but they're actually like a zero. And try as I may, I can't force her knees together. And so the doctor said, my recommendation is that she become part of my clinic and she'll need to come for seven years. And during that time, we'll do various treatments and uh, hopefully make something of a difference. Maybe we'll put calipers on her, maybe casts. It could involve surgery but I know you've got a long, difficult, and probably for her, painful journey ahead. Well, mom and dad, or should I say grandma and grandpa, were Christians, and they prayed and they asked the Lord to touch this little girl. Seven weeks later, they went for the first follow-up appointment. And when the doctor examined her a second time, she said, is this the same girl? Now her legs are completely straight. Her feet stick out, no angle at all. And she said, I don't think I need to see her. What the doctors would have taken seven years to do painfully, the resurrected Jesus did in seven weeks painlessly. You see, we can experience the resurrection as he touches us and as he heals us. I wonder if somebody here needs a resurrection touch this morning to give life to your mortal body. So he can, we can experience him as he saves us. We can experience him as he heals us in our body. And we can experience the resurrection, as he heals us in our mind and in our hearts. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of power and love and soundness of mind. Val and I have been uh, part of Gateway Church for probably the last 33 years. And during that time, one of my responsibilities was to prepare candidates for baptism, and that meant listening to a lot of testimonies. I must have listened to dozens over the years. But there's one that stands out to me. An older lady called Evangeline. And as she sat there in the baptism class, her face was radiant. But she said, I've not always been like this. When I was younger, I had very severe mental illness. In fact, so much so, I ended up not just in the psychiatric department of one of the local hospitals, but in the padded room, in a secure private room. And she said, my life was just one medically induced sleep after another. Her street clothes were taken away. She was put for her safety in a straitjacket. And when her kids came to see her, they didn't recognize her and she didn't recognize them. She said, but, but through all of that, she said there was a, a verse of scripture that I'd learned years before in Sunday school and it kept going through my mind, hammering on my mind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this kept going through her mind over and over again. And the resurrected Jesus met Evangeline Bolianus in the secure room in a Winnipeg psychiatric hospital and touched her life. And she became clothed and in her right mind as she encountered the resurrection and as she experienced for herself its power. We can experience the resurrection when he saves us, when he heals our body, and when he heals our mind and our emotions. But there's a fourth way in which we can experience the resurrection. As he transforms us and takes away anger and frustration and those things that are too strong for us to deal with alone. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Let me tell you about a, another guy in prison. Not in Britain this time, but right, in fact, it's in, he was in Stony Mountain. And uh, I used to go there to do an alpha course with some of the guys in there. I met Jim there. In fact, I actually married Jim and his fiancée inside the prison. It was the strangest wedding ever. Because I, I gave the, the, the bride a ride to the, uh, to the prison... And uh, warders were witnesses, uh, prison guards were witnesses and part of the congregation. The best man was an, another violent offender. And uh, we did the wedding, they ate some sandwiches, and then the bride got a ride home and the, 
groom went back to his jail cell. It was the strangest thing. But as Jim told me his story, I realized that Jesus Christ can change people and change how life has twisted them. Jim's life of crime and anger began when one day his mum said to him, Jim, you're so bad, not even Jesus could love you. And that kindled a, a rage within him that, that went on all his adult life. It motivated him to a life of violent crime, particularly against women. And he ended up in prison for a long time. One day, he made a decision that that night he was going to end his life. He was going to tie his bed sheets into a noose, put them round his neck and roll off his bunk. But as it happened, his lawyer, who was in our congregation and a Christian, happened to call him. And in the course of this phone call, Jim told his lawyer what he was going to do. And Scott said, Jim, don't do that. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Ask him to change you. He can make a difference. And so that night, instead of rolling off his bunk, he knelt beside it. And he began to pour out his heart to God. And as he's pouring out his heart, he, the tears begin to flow and he sobbed himself to sleep. When he woke in the morning, he was completely changed. All the anger had gone. All the frustration was finished because the night before, the resurrected Jesus had come and touched him, transformed him, took away his anger and his hatred and his frustration. We can experience him as he saves us, as he heals us physically, as he heals us mentally, as he deals with issues that are too strong for us. And finally, we can experience him as he forgives and restores us. Hosea said to Israel, or God said through Hosea to Israel, I will heal your backsliding. I will love you freely. For my anger has turned away. The New Testament version of that is Hebrews 8, which says, I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And if ever there was a, a story, that a testimony that fitted the bill here, it was that of Simon Peter. You know, Peter had messed up big time. The leader of the disciples, the rock, the one who had promised that he would lay down his life to defend Jesus had actually ended up denying him as he warmed himself by the high priest's fire. He denied him three times in public with an oath. And after it was all done, Peter was so ashamed, he said, I'm going fishing. He didn't mean I... You know, I'm going to take a bit of recreation on. He didn't even mean I'm going to find supper for us. He meant I'm, I'm through with this. I'm going back to the thing I used to do. He was backsliding. Throwing in the towel. Giving up 
on his faith altogether. But the resurrected Jesus came to him. Not to rebuke or confront, but in love and care. He comes right into Peter's backsliding. He comes with a frying pan and a fish and a heart full of grace and mercy. Stands on the seashore, waves. Peter! When Peter realizes it's Jesus, it says he's stripped for work. And he's so ashamed because really he's stripped bare in his heart before the Lord. He dives into the water. Well, he swims to shore. And Jesus has built a fire. And he's cooking him breakfast. Cooking, a, cooking food to feed him and lighting a fire to warm him. That's how the resurrected Christ comes. And you know what's more amazing? Not once does he mention his failing. The last time these two had met over a fire, Peter denied Jesus three times. But now, meeting over a fire again, Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He asks him three times. And Peter makes three affirmations where before he'd made three denials. Jesus doesn't judge us on our performance. He draws out what's in our heart. And he knew all along what was really in Peter's heart. And with each affirmation... And with each reversal of his denial, Jesus recommissions him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. A couple of years ago, I learned a new word. That word was kintsuji. It's a Japanese word. And it describes the art of mending broken pots and bowls and plates with gold. So that instead of being written off and thrown on the junk heap, they are put back together more beautiful and more valuable than they were before. I mean, there's an example. And that's what God does with us. With the weak and the broken and the failed. He brings the gold of his mercy and his grace and glues back our broken lives so that we're actually stronger and more reliable and more valuable than we were before. The power of the resurrection. A rock solid fact and something that we can encounter in our own lives. In our reading we are told that the tomb was open not so much to let Jesus out, but to let us in. So that the resurrection can touch us and change us. 
I want to go right back to what I said, the first point of the, this second half of my message, that the resurrection can touch us as Jesus Christ saves us. And maybe there's somebody here, might be for the first time, might be just as a guest, and you've never, ever given your life to Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to do that right now, today. You know, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, when he did his earlier crusades, he would always say to the audience, I want you to go away and think about what I've said. But one night, it was October the 7th, 1871, he told the people of Chicago, go home and think about what I have said. But that night, the great Chicago fire occurred. And many who heard Moody didn't live to tell the tale. And so, I want to say to you, why don't you give your life to Jesus Christ today? I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want to invite you to pray it along with us and then we'll hand over to the worship team. In fact, why don't we all say this out loud together just to help those people, maybe somebody online who's watching this, to be able to come to Christ Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for rising up again and coming to me today. I receive you into my life. I confess my sin. I ask you to be my Savior. And I own Jesus Christ as my Savior, as my Lord, and as the treasure of my life. Amen. May we all know the resurrected Jesus touching us. God bless you.